class, getting back into Torah study after celebrating Simcha's Torah and starting the Torah new. It's interesting. I was asked the question, why don't we finish the Torah before the new year? Why do we finish the Torah with in the in and start again in the new year? And the answer, one of the answers is, is that we we are set we celebrate the end of the Torah and the beginning of the new Torah after Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur is the day when we got the second set of tablets. We got the first set of tablets back on Shavuot. So you would think we're going to start the Torah then. You know, the cycle of Torah would end and begin on Shavuot. But actually it begins in Torah because it's the second set of tablets after the fall and the recovery from the fall that we have a higher level of Torah that's represented by the second tablets. That's why we start Simchas Torah, celebrating the new cycle of Torah study at that time after having experienced Yom Kippur. So with that introduction, let us begin. We're in chapter 11 of Genesis, verse 1. This is the reading for uh, Shabbat. So the seventh, it's the seventh aliyah, it's the seventh reading of Parshas Noach, seventh portion. And it is the story of the Tower of Babel. Let's see what it says. Verse 1. The entire earth, or the entire land, everybody was speaking the same language. Safa echat. Safa is a language. Um, Safa comes from the word lip. Is that right, Nuria? Svataim are the lips, right? Lips. Lips. So the word for language here is the word lip. Safachat, one language, Udvarim Achadim and uniform words. So Dvarim are words, Achadim from the word Echad. So they were using the same terms for things. We'll see Rashi gives us a little bit of a different explanation of what Dvarim Achadim means. A little bit vague. So let's see what Rashi says. Safachat, they were st- they were they were speaking one language. Rashi identifies which language that was. It was Spanish. No, it was Lashon HaKodesh, the holy tongue, which is Hebrew. That's what everybody spoke at that time. The language with which which the world is created. Now, what is the second expression? Dvarim Achadim, which they translate as uniform words. Rashi says, They came with one scheme and they said, so the people of the earth, got together with this uniform idea. And they said, So this basically rebellion against God. And they said, Let us ascend to the sky and wage war with Him. They wanted to to wage war with God. They came with one scheme. He had no right to select for Himself the upper regions. They sang about God. No, and he has no right to yavor to to choose and, and to select for himself the upper regions, the sky, the heavens. Na let us go up to the heavens. Vinase and we are going to do battle with this God. So it's very interesting because we're just coming out of the um, the pl- the flood the whole story of the flood and the people instead of having a humility towards god 
they are coming almost with the opposite. The opposite. They wanted to make war with God. We're going to go up to the heavens and we're going to wage war with God. Sounds somewhat ridiculous, but this is what they were thinking. Dover Acher, the Rashi gives us a slight, and that's the meaning of the words, Udvarim Achadim. It's not just talking about the language anymore, uniform words that they were able to communicate, but rather they, that they all came together with this idea, this scheme. Dover Acher, and then Rashi gives a second explanation, Al Yichidoi Shel Oilam. They spoke against the sole one of the world. So, Dvarim Achadim. Again, the word echad means one. And we know that God is one, or the sole one. He's the only one of the world. So they spoke words against, so you got to put it in brackets, against, achadim, the one God. And yet a third explanation Rashi gives, davar acher, udvarim achadim, omru, they said, they said, it seems, based on our calculations, that every 1,656 years, the heavens uh, totters, the sky totters and falters. Kishem as occurred in the time of the flood. Let us go and build supports for the sky so that it doesn't fall again. So these are all different explanations of what they were trying to do with this building of the tower. One was to actually go up and do battle with God. You can imagine, you know, you hear the uh, the mythology, the Greek mythology, where they think of the, these gods in these physical terms. So they're thinking, oh, there's some God up there. We're going to go. We'll go after him. Sounds pretty, pretty egotistical. The second explanation is that they are... Um, going after the one God. That's the word Achadim. And the third explanation was that it doesn't seem that they want to rebel against God per se. They just, they don't want the heavens falling again. So they're going to build supports for it. Let's pause there for a second and let's see if we have any questions or comments. Bill, you said something? Well, yeah, I, there's no there's no words on the screen. The screen is blank. Anyway. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Oh, there it goes. You see it now? Yes. Yeah, well, the word Zoom just came up. Well, let me stop the share and I'll share it again. Share screen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Da da. How's that? Yes, there we go. Sorry about that, folks. Okay, does anyone have any questions so far on what we learned or comment? All right, we'll keep going. So what did they do about their devious plan? Bays, verse 2, It came to pass when they traveled from the east, which was where they dwelled. They found... A valley. They found a valley. Bika is a valley. Be'eretz Shinar. In the land of Shinar. Vayeshvusham. And they settled there. 
So they traveled from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar, and they settled in this place called Shinar, which was a valley. Rashi says, They were initially dwelling, originally settled in the east. As we read earlier in chapter 10, verse 30, They traveled from the east to scout out a place that would contain all of them, that could accommodate all of them. The only place that they could find was Shinar. Okay. Number three. So one man says to his fellow, as Rashi will tell us, this doesn't mean one, literally one human to another human. Rather, it means one nation to another nation. So one nation says to another, right, because if it would, if it meant just one man to another, it would say Vayomer, and it says Vayomru, which is plural. So it sounds like a lot of people said to a lot of people. So that's one nation says to another, and Rashi will tell us which nations those are. What did they say? Hova nilbina levenim. Come, let us make bricks. So levena is a brick. Making bricks is nilbina levenim. Let us make bricks. And hava means... Come, let's go. And we'll fire them up. Fire them thoroughly. That's how you make the bricks. So the bricks were to them for stones. And the clay was to them for mortar. So basically they figured out this idea that you don't need stones. You could also make stones. You can make bricks. And you can use clay for the mortar. Rashi tells us, Isharyehu, man to his fellow, Uma le Uma, one nation said to another, Mitzrayim le Kush, the nation of Mitzrayim, which is Egypt, said to Kush and Kush, to Put and Put to Canaan. So the nations all schemed together with this plan. Hava, what's Hava? Hazminu atzmechem, prepare yourselves. Hava, the word Hava means preparing yourself, joining for work, or for counsel, or for carrying a load. Hava has mino f apersler in old French to get ready. Now, why did they have to make bricks? Rashi tells us, There were no stones in Babel. Shehibika, because it is a valley. So since there are no stones, they need, they need to build this tower. What did they do? They made bricks. Venisa fired them thoroughly. Says Rashi, This is how they make bricks, which are called tivle in Old French. They fire them in a kiln. By the way, the reason why Rashi is translating things into French is because he lived in France. So for his audience, he's translating it to a language that they will understand. To plaster the wall. This is what they need, the mortar, to plaster the wall. Okay, so we're getting the, uh, the, uh, the contractor's description of what went on. But what was this, what was this all about? Let's see. Verse 4. 
Bayomru they said It's interesting that they talk about the, the ingredients first before they, they're describing what they're actually trying to do. So they said, Come let us build ourselves a city Umigdol and a tower with its top in the heavens. And we'll make for ourselves a name. So here, by the way, when it says its, its head will be in the heavens, that, that you now see what, where the, the source of this idea that they were building this tower to actually get to God or to hold up the heavens is because they wanted to make this really tall thing going up into the heavens. But they also say we want to make ourselves a name lest we be scattered upon the face of the entire earth. What does that mean? Rashi says, that God should not bring upon us any plague to scatter us from here. So again, you see that this is some kind of a reaction um, from the, the flood, where they're trying to prevent this destruction of the world again and trying to outsmart God. Doesn't sound like a very good idea, but anyway, that's what they did. Verse 5, Hashem. So God comes down, He descends. To come and see this city and this tower, that the children of man had built. So I guess they succeeded. They built this, this city and they built this tower and God says, hmm, let's go see what's going on over here. Rashi addresses the obvious question, does God really need to descend to see something? I mean, he's got cameras all over the place. He doesn't need to descend. God does not need to descend. It's coming to teach a lesson. God is teaching a lesson for judges, for human judges. Terrestrial judges. Ah. Don't condemn the defendant until you go and see the case and understand it. Rashi gives us the source for that. Beautiful. The children of, of man. Rashi says the sons of, of whom else could they have been? Could it be the sons of donkeys or of camels? Obviously, this is the, the children of man. Rather, he's not just saying that these were humans. He's saying that these are the children of the man, Adam. Why is they suddenly referencing Adam? Says Rashi, that there's a connection between what's happening here and something that Adam did. What did Adam do? That the when, when God confronted Adam and said, Hey, what happened? Why did you eat from the fruit? Why do you think you're naked? Did you eat from the fruit? Adam didn't say, I'm so sorry, God. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done it. Mia culpa. My bad. Instead, he gave an excuse. He said, the woman that you, God, gave to me, she gave me from the fruit and I ate from it. So not only was he not thankful to God for giving him a wife, to giving him a chava, he is 
blaming her and God for giving her for the fact that he ate from the Eitzadas. So Af'elu, similarly, these characters from the, from the generation of the Tower of Babel, God saved these people from the flood. If they survived, that means they're from the descendants of the children of Noah. If so, they should be grateful that they survived the flood. Instead of being grateful, God had lavished goodness upon them and saving them from the flood. Instead of being grateful, they are planning a rebellion against God. This is why they're called in the verse, B'nai Ha'odom. Not just children of man in the sense of being humans, but children of Adam, the first man who had a similar characteristic of not being thankful for what God gave him. Let's pause here and open it up to comments. Anybody? Well, I think it's very interesting that um, they were, instead of being humbled by the flood, as you said, their ego just took over. It couldn't stand the fact that they couldn't have control over things, and they had to release that control to God and follow God's will. Instead of taking the control back in this crazy way, trying to build this thing in heaven, where I mean, God's not up in the sky somewhere, but you know, it's it's crazy. It's their ego got. Irrational, I think, the way it looks to me. Beautiful. Beautifully stated. Thank you, Bill. Anybody else? Comment? Question? Going once. Going twice. Sold to the rabbi. We keep going. Okay. Let's keep going. Vav number six. Vayoymer Hashem. And God said, Hain am echod. Lo. L-O. That's English, not Hebrew. Lo, exclamation mark. They are one people. Am echad. V'sofo achas lechulam. And they all have one language. So that goes back to the beginning of the story. Sofa achas. One language for all of them. And this is what they have commenced to do. Viato, and now lo will it not be withheld from them? All they have planned to do? Question mark. In other words, the fact that they're able to make this plan against God is only because they can communicate with each other. They have one language. So let's see what we're going to do about this. Says Rashi, All this goodness that they have is because they are one people and they all have one language. That enabled them to begin doing this thing. Rashi tells us that you're supposed to read this end of verse with a question mark. And this is what all they have planned to do. So what are we going to do? Verse 7. Let us go and descend. And interesting, it uses the same expression that the people used when they said, Hava, let us. Um, what, how, do, how do we translate Hava earlier? Come. 
And Rashi had a whole thing about it. Prepare yourselves and so forth. So God uses the same expression. Hova, speaking, who's he talking to? He's talking to his to the to the uh, heavenly court. Come, let us descend. And we will confuse their language. So that one will not be able to understand the language of his fellow. Says Rashi, let us go down. Who's we? God is one. So who's we? Rashi explains, God took counsel with his tribunal. May due to his extraordinary humility. And that's from the Talmud, Tractate Sanhedrin 38b. Hava says Rashi, Mida Kineged Mida. Here we have the concept of measure for measure, that that's how God operates. Heim Amru Hava Nivne. They, the people, said, Come, let us build, etc., this tower against God. Vehu Kinegdam. So God parallels them and says, So God meets out corresponding punishment out to them by countering them with, Come, let us descend. Novla means from the word Novla, which means to confuse. So when they... When God confuses their language, this one is asking for a brick, a levena. And the one listening doesn't understand what he's saying and instead brings him mortar. So the first one stands and cracks his skull. So he, he takes it personally. I asked you for a brick. What are you bringing me mortar? He can't imagine that he actually didn't understand what he was saying. So he gets very angry and he cracks his skull. Verse 8, And the Lord scattered them from there upon the face of the entire earth. And they ceased building the city. So apparently the city wasn't yet finished. Rashi tells us, The Lord scattered them from there in this world. They said, we want to build this tower and city, lest we be scattered. So that actually happened to them. It was fulfilled upon them that they became scattered. The dread of a wicked man, that will befall him. What they were afraid of, indeed, this happened to them. Verse 9, and that's how it got its name. That's how this land of Shinar got its name, Bovel. Babylon, Babylon, Babylonia, Kisham Bolal Hashem It was there that God mixed up the language of the earth, of the entire earth. Misham Hashem. It was from there that God scattered them upon the face of the entire earth. Says Rashi, Misham This teaches us that the people of the generation of the Tower of Babel, they have no shear in the world to come. In other words, not only were they punished in this world, but they're punished in the next world as well. Now Rashi asks, which one is worse? Which sin is worse? The, the generation of the flood or the generation of the dispersion? 
So haflaga means dispersion. The former, namely the people of the times of Noah, they did not stretch forth their hands against Ikar, the main one, God. The Elo, but these, they tried to, to do battle with God. The Elo Nishtafu, these were, were, uh, were wiped away. They were drowned, the people of the flood. And these weren't. So Rashi is kind of asking a question that the second group seems to get away easy. The first gener- generation, of the generation of the flood, they get all killed. They all die in the flood. They all drown. And the second, these dispersion characters who built the, built the tower, they seem to have committed a greater crime because they're directly fighting against God. Why do they get off so easy just getting uh, scattered around? Little um, population distribution. So Rashi explains, Ella should do mabel hoyu gazlonim. Because the people of the generation of the flood were thieves. And they were fighting with each other. There was strife among them. That's why they were destroyed. But the people of the dispersion, they were, they were acting with love and with friendship between them. So yes, they were fighting with God. But since they were getting along with each other, God treats them kinder than he treats those of the flood. That teaches you that discord is hateful and that peace is great. And that is an excellent way to conclude our session for tonight because what an incredible lesson. A lesson from God. What does God take greater offense? When you offend him or when you don't get along with your fellow human being. And here we see it very clearly. God said, if you offend me, okay, it's not nice. We're gonna, not going to let it, uh, we're not going to let it fly. There's going to be a consequence, but it's going to be a consequence with, you know, not too, not too severe. But if you can't get along with your fellow, ooh, God doesn't like that. That's much worse than not being able to get along with God himself. Wow, very powerful. An interesting God. Doesn't take himself as, as, as personally offense to him as when you don't get along with, with others. Beautiful, beautiful lesson. I'll open it up to questions and comments and see what our wonderful classmates have to say. I have a question. Gary, hit us with a question. <clears throat> um, I hope it's a really tough people... one. Excuse me? I hope it's a really tough one. Uh-huh. Did the people, it's a two-part question. Did the people who died in the flood make it to the Olam Haba? And what does Rashi say about the Olam Haba? Like, what does he say it is? Thank you. It's a great question, and I will first say that I don't know, but I will say that based on what we read, you would think that if the the people of the dispersion lost their share in the world to come, 
then certainly those of the flood also lost their share in the world to come because as Rashi says here, they're worse. So that would be the logic based on here. And I don't recall Rashi specifically talking about whether the people of the flood lost their share in the world to come. I don't remember. As far as the second question is, what is how does Rashi... Um, what does Rashi think of the, or the Olam Abba? What is the Olam Abba? It's very interesting. <laughs> Today I had the knock on my door from um, the witnesses. And they said, oh, we know the Hasidic Jews from Brooklyn. We used to live in uh, Washington Heights over there. Not Washington Heights, in, um, in Brooklyn Heights. So anyway, I decided to give them some time and we sat down on my porch and I basically explained to them, you know, that they're not going to convince me to... Uh, you know, leave the Jewish faith and join any other. I explained to them, you know, we are, Judaism is the only religion in history that that is based on a revelation to millions of people. Every other religion is based on a revelation to like one person, two people. And that we have it very clear in our Torah that if a prophet comes and tells you something that goes against what you heard from Moses... You know that you don't follow that. Anyway, I gave them this thing. They asked me what what is they they told me that uh, you know their belief is that is not in in uh, this idea of going to heaven per se, but actually of of being of, of of living forever in this world. And they quoted for me a verse from the Psalms, Psalm thirty-seven, la They told me in English, of course. I told it to them in Hebrew. Then I pulled out the Tehillim that I translated. And the commentary that I wrote, I told Mendel to come bring it. I showed it to them. It's like, you come and quoted me the the Tehillim, you know. But it was an interesting question. And I told them that it actually is a debate among the sages of Israel. What is the the ultimate and what we call the world to come? So, Carrie, in answer to your question, I don't know what Rashi's view is. I don't remember. But there's a famous debate, and Maimonides takes the position that the ultimate is in the next world. We had that in one of our classes. We, we read Rambam's Laws of Repentance, Laws of Teshuvah. He says that the ultimate is the life of the soul in, in, in the next world, in a spiritual plane. However, Nachmanides and Kabbalah and Hasidus follows the opinion of Nachmanides on this question, is that Olam Abba is the time of Mashiach or a certain stage in the time of Mashiach when the there's the resurrection of the dead and the soul is in the body in this world that is the ultimate olam olam haba so that is my response to you namely I don't know I don't know and I don't know <laughs> can I ask a question well make a, a kind of an extreme example to get to the to the question. Um, talking about the people, God saying that it was better that they cared about each other, loved each other, even if they turned against God. Right. So I'm using extreme. So if you had a group of people, let's say Satan worshipers, and there are people who worship Satan. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. They worship Satan and they hate God, but they care about each other. They seem to love each other. Would that be seen in the same way? Would yes. Be, that's what you that's, Exactly. That's what it's saying is that, you know, when people are united, even if they're not, they're not worshiping God, they mm -hmm. have, uh, they have a certain power as well. And when people are, and the converse, the converse is the same. You could be worshiping God, but if the people are not getting along, 
Toignisht. Doesn't uh, it's not as powerful as people who are not worshiping God but are getting along. So I'll conclude with two other lessons that I think we get from this uh, parsha. Um, we already mentioned the first, which was the last thing we read. This way, and, and Bill just uh, commented on. But the other two that I noticed is that God shows shows a lesson. That when you hear something terrible happened, his people are rebelling against God. We got to go do something. And you tend to, to react very passionately and, and without deliberation. God says, no matter what you heard, even if you heard that they're building a tower to go fight with God, relax. Don't be too quick to judge. Go down and see. These are the words. It says, and God descended to see the city and the, and the tower that the children of man had built. He didn't say, oh, I know already. I mean, of course, God, he's, he's just showing you how we need to behave. Don't say, I know already. I heard this is terrible. We're going to go and, and um, heads will roll. No, go down, the, down. Go down means to descend. That means get off your high perch. Get out of your ivory tower. Don't think that you know everything from your high perch, go down, go down and find out what's going on. Go into the level of whichever place you're going to judge. You need to go down to that level. You need to be in that place. As we say, don't judge your fellow until you've been in his place. See exactly what's going on. And who knows what you'll find out. Maybe you'll find out the whole thing is a bubble mice. It's not true. Or you'll find out it is true. But you might get some understanding of, of, uh, of what, they're, what they're going for. Maybe there's some misunderstanding and so forth. Or in this case, as we see, you find out that even though these people are fighting against God, it turns out they're, they're very much united. So they have some positive quality. So when you just hear about negative things and you don't take the time to, to investigate and research, you just hear the negative and then you, you, you end with that. No. Look into it. You may find the whole thing is, is false. And even if you don't, you'll find... Something positive about wherever this judgment that's going on. So I thought that was a very powerful and beautiful lesson. And the second and the third one was also this idea that we saw the criticism of Adam, the first man, and the criticism of the people of the of the Deiraflaga, of the generation of dispersion, that they failed to be grateful. And it seems to be in our nature. That we, that we fail to be grateful. So Adam is ungrateful for, for Chava that he gets, the, the wife that he gets from God. These people are ungrateful for the fact that they were saved by God from the flood. And so it's just a reminder to us to be aware, to be aware, to be thankful for what we have. And God forbid never to use what we have as an excuse, as Adam did, in, in uh, excusing our behavior, but to, but to really, truly be grateful for what we have and behave accordingly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that has been a wonderful start to our new year of Torah study. And we'll look forward to seeing you again Tuesday night for the next session of Torah on Zoom.